morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service this morning. So glad to see everyone. Uh, again, uh, just thank you for your continued thoughts and prayers and the cards we keep getting in the mail. Uh, we love you so much and we appreciate all that that you're doing. If you're joining us online, we welcome you as well. We hope that you sing nice and loud at home or wherever you are traveling. Uh, if you won't mind, if you are able, please stand with me as we sing our first two.
Good morning. We welcome you to West Irwin Church Cross and those who are live streaming. The first week of our Wednesday night food truck meal begins this week, October the 6th, with a baked potato meal from Spud Station. They will serve us from 5 o'clock p.m. to 6.15 p.m. at the Family Life Center. Children up to the fifth grade and families are invited to West Irwin Kids Farmly Fall. It's an afternoon trip to Yesterday Farm in Canton. It's this Saturday, October the 9th, 1.30 to 5.30. Snacks will be provided. Bus seating is available but limited, so we ask you to sign up in the children's wing by October the 6th. And today at 5 o'clock p.m., we have our evening fellowship meal here in the Family Life Center with our Hispanic brethren. That's some good news. White Weathers, born September 30th to Will and Jay Taylor Weathers. Will and Christine are the grandparents. And Wanda Weathers, the great-grandmother. Congratulations. We have two new members, Connie Tharp, cousin of Brenda Knight, place membership, and Carolyn Womack's daughter, Kelly Finley. Will y'all two please stand? We pray that you be a blessing and encouragement to us. Rob Smith asked for prayers. He was tested positive for COVID-19. Ponder Wright suffered a stroke, but now he's at home. Our sympathy extended to Sue Hughes and the loss of James, who passed away last Tuesday evening. Arrangements are pending. Glenn Franz Starnes, brother-in-law, Edward Gray, passed away in Conroe. Mike Phillips' brother, Steve, passed away last Wednesday. Last week, as I was watching prime time news. The news anchor reporter mentioned that YouTube will begin removing videos that are providing false information about COVID vaccines. You know, once information is labeled or perceived as false information, it is easily ignored removed, purged, and deleted from the iCloud, or simply tossed in a trash can because it no longer has use or value. Now I realize our children in public schools are, are exposed and taught a lot of false information from evolution to inclusion. And Wes Irwin is hosting a day-and-a-half seminar in October titled Defending the Truth. It begins on October the 23rd, a Saturday at 10 o'clock in the morning. And the first session is titled The Case of Creation. At the same time, 
During the seminar for the children, Wes Irwin is offering a program called Two by Two. We encourage you, families, to attend this seminar, and we would like you to register at Wes Irwin website, www.wesirwin.com, or you can use your smartphone to scan the QCR code that's in the bulletin, which is between the case for creation and two by two, or call of our office. And if you continue watching the local news, world news, you see people. And you see people who don't know God, nor do they know his word. You see masses of people who are suffering the consequences from others who have declared God's word. When I say the God's word, this Bible here I'm holding, who have declared it as false information. And I ask myself, what will happen when our culture, our people, our nation perceives God and his word as misinformation? So the second day of our seminar, on October 24th, Sunday, morning at 9 o'clock, the first session is titled, The Fruits of Atheism. Let's go to our Father in prayer. As school continues, surround the teachers and parents and children with, our, with your hedge of protection. We ask you to provide the school board, the school administrators, the teachers, the parents with wisdom, patience, and knowledge as they handle the many pressures of teaching and working with children. We pray for them and the children to have a safe and healthy school year. Father, be with us here at West Over and our staff, ministers, deacons and teachers, elders, May we encourage and spur one another on to good works and to joyful labor. Father, bless Bill Allen Day as he presents your word. Empower Bill with words that proclaims you, proclaims you and that this word will be fixed into each of our minds and hearts as we battle Satan's constant barrage from within ourselves and from outside. Father, as we reflect upon your word in Philippians 4, 6, present your quest to God. We bring these names before you and ask you for their recovery and healing touch to be upon them. Ralph Henderson, Anna's Nunn's son and daughter-in-law, Keith and Carmen Nunn, Candy Hillard, Rob Smith, David Wick's mother, Willow Wicks, David Wick's grandson, Eli Hollidges, Janice Hardaway. Father, we ask you for providing peace and comfort to the following families that released, recently lost loved ones. Sue Hughes and the loss of her husband, James. Rusty and Stan Lay and the loss of Rusty's mother, Lucy Lay. Charlie Richley, whose father passed away. Glenn and Fran Starnes, loss of their brother-in-law, Edward Gray. Mike and Debbie Phillips, and the loss of Mike's brother, Steve. 
and Tia Clark and the loss of Brian Brown. We'll pray for all of those on our prayer and care list. Father, we protect the health care workers, our firefighters, our police, our soldiers who are putting their lives on the line for each of us. We ask you to bless our government leaders and the leaders of the world who restrain evil and uphold your word in righteousness and who proclaim you and keep your name holy. And Father, bless our judges and that their decisions will be in harmony with your word. And Father, be with our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Give them your peace, which transcends all understanding, and the wisdom and knowledge to survive. Father, as we pause from our day-to-day of work, clear our minds from our to-do list, the distractions, and the needs of life during this worship time. May our worship will be in spirit and truth. May we leave here strengthened, and our lives will be engaged with your word and our minds fixed upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.
30 plus years ago when I was six, <laughs> seven, we worshiped uh, across the, the foyer there in a structure that we called our auditorium, later our small auditorium, now we call it our chapel. And uh, we started having a lot of visitors, the place started filling up. We put out folding chairs, um, a lot of visitors, and about that same time we began televising our services. Our elders got together and decided since in a televised service and the amount of visitors we had coming that we don't really know who our audience is. We may have an audience that doesn't know why we do what we do each Sunday. And so that started the tradition, if you will, of making a comment or two before our communion service, which we're about to partake of, as to why we do it and when we do it. And so today I will attempt to do that one more time. In Acts 20 and verse 7 says, Disciples, the disciples came together to break bread on the first day of the week. Why do we break bread on every first day of the week? When Israel obeyed God's command regarding the Sabbath, how often would they remember it to keep it holy? Every seventh day. So it was a weekly observance. And that language also means that we should have the Lord's Supper every first day. If you took a job and were told that payday was Friday, how often would you expect to get paid? The gospel says that disciples came together on the first day of the week. If we follow the Bible's example, we will come together to have it on every first day of the week. With that said, I... We'll read from Luke's account, chapter 22, starting with verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the sacrifice of your Son, for the blood that was shed that continually, continuously cleanses us. We are weak and pitiful creatures without your love and without the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son. As we partake of this bread at this time, which represents his body, may we do so in a manner pleasing to thee. In Christ's name, amen.
Heavenly Father, for this cleansing cup. It represents the shed blood on the cross. We appreciate so much and cannot understand the depth of love that you have for us. And yet we sin against you and we ask for your forgiveness. As we partake of this cup, it represents the blood of Jesus on the cross. May we do so in a manner pleasing to thee, in Christ's name. Amen. When the sound guys have control of your microphone, you do what they tell you to do. We have begun a tradition of helping others see what we're about here at West Irwin and the ministries that we're involved in. You get a little picture of it in our worship assemblies and our Bible classes, but there's so many things. Today we're focusing on Wednesday nights at West Irwin. We're focusing on our Wednesday night Bible classes. I hope that you're a part of those because there is something for everyone. Uh, There's a general adult Bible class that meets in the chapel Matt referred to earlier. And right now we're looking at uh, the stories of Jesus and his church from the biblical author Luke. Our ladies class is taught by Nancy Crawford and is studying discerning the voice of God. And they are a very tight group and do so much good. Our middle and high school class is taught by our youth minister, Tucker Sullivan. Unhurrying your life, what an important study that will be. And then we have our children's classes. And our kids love to go to Bible class. And they love their teacher. And they love the Bible games that they get to play. And nobody tell the children that they're learning about the Bible while they're playing those games, please. They'll find that out soon enough. But there are so many wonderful activities that they have in those Bible classes. And starting this coming Wednesday, as you heard, we will have food trucks at the Family Life Center before our Bible classes on Wednesday nights. And so we encourage everyone, starting this Wednesday night if you haven't started yet, but continuing this Wednesday night if you have, to come on Wednesday evenings. Share a meal at the food truck in the Family Life Center if you like. But definitely come to our Wednesday night Bible classes at 6.30 p.m. each Wednesday night. Uh, It will help you throughout your week. And it will help us all on our journey uh, to do what our shepherd challenged us to do a few moments ago. And live faithfully uh, in this world for which Jesus died.
some blessings we can see right in front of us. Our friends, our family, <clears throat> beautiful building. There's a lot of work that goes on here behind the scenes that we don't see. And there is a cost involved in all this work. We've been blessed as a church for many, many years. And I would like to take the opportunity now to continue that prayer for those blessings, if you'll bow with me. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for each and every gift that we have, both spiritual and physical. We're so thankful that you have blessed this church through the years, and we've been blessed with good leadership. And Heavenly Father, we'd ask that you continue to bless our leaders with wisdom. We're so thankful for our jobs, our homes, everything that you provide, it's all yours. And as we pray now for this time of giving, we pray that you would bless us once again. In Jesus' name, amen. time for our blast program. If you're involved with that, you're certainly dismissed at this time. Everyone else, if it's convenient, please stand with me as we sing This World Is Not My Home. This world is not my home.
for a discussion of some of the most important questions in the world. I'm Kyle Butt, and I work with a company called Apologetics Press, and we've been discussing and writing about these topics for over 40 years. I hope that you'll be with us that weekend. As do I, as do all of your leaders, our ministers, our elders, many of our other leaders within our church family have been working and praying and talking about this wonderful seminar literally for two years. It was scheduled to be last year and then 2020 hit and so we postponed it and it is now being, uh, it's now almost upon us. We're three weeks away from this wonderful, wonderful seminar. I hope that you've gotten one of the brochures. I hope that you've gotten several actually and are passing those around, uh, giving those to your friends, your family, coworkers, fellow students, anyone that <clears throat> you know that you might be able to move to take a look and consider this wonderful subject, this important seminar and be a part of this seminar on October 23rd and 24th. You'll also notice that on the inside there is a QR code as David mentioned. And you can take a picture of that with your camera on your cell phone and it takes you right to our registration page. Or you can go to our website as David shared, westerwin.com and register there. Or there's a sign up sheet in the back at the table and you can register there. Or you can send us an email or call the office and register there. Why is that so important, Bill? Are you just trying to pad the numbers? Well, here's the deal. We want everyone to come to this seminar on October 23rd and 24th. And we want everyone who comes to get to eat. We're going to have a meal on Saturday at lunchtime and a meal on Sunday at lunchtime. And we're going to gauge that meal based on, guess what? Registrations. And so you say, yeah, but I've been a minister here for 40 years. I, I remember here for 40 years, I shouldn't have to register. Yes, you do need to register. We need to know who all, even of our own members, are coming. And we put Facebook ads out, other social media ads out. We have a billboard that's up. We've sent letters to area churches of Christ and other churches. And we want everyone to attend this seminar. This is a very important and timely study. You have questions about these things, and your children and grandchildren have questions about these things. Your coworkers and your friends and your neighbors have questions about this subject. So we encourage you to register. And if you can do that today, that would be incredible. If you're just going to come one day, there's an option to do that. So if you can only make it on Sunday, but you want to come and you want to be a part of the luncheon, please, please register. Uh, we encourage everyone uh, to do that. Right now, we have 33 different registrations. 73 have committed to attending. I'm kind of tempted to ask our elders and deacons and ministers to stand up and then sit down if they haven't registered yet. Every cell in my body wants to do that. But I need to talk to Joyce and make sure that we've registered before I do that. <laughs> so, so you're off the hook today, my friends, but not forever. We want everyone to come to this. This is going to be an incredible seminar. It's going to be very helpful in your faith, and it's going to be very helpful in your witness 
so that you don't have to shy away from the discussions that come up about these very questions. And so I hope and pray that you are committed to coming, that you will register, and I hope and pray that you will share this information with others. Because everyone in our culture here today, yes, right here in River City, right here in the Rose City of Tyler, Texas, needs this information and this affirmation of their faith and this encouragement to be able to join in these discussions that are very important and that we'll be talking about in the weeks ahead. This morning begins a new sermon series for me. And the sermon series is how to be good bad guys. And I'll say more about that in a few moments. As far as the world around us is concerned, are we good guys or bad guys? Many remember the old westerns, you know, the, with the good guys and the bad guys. Or even previous thoughts about uh, movies or history about wars, where the good guys and the bad guys, there was a very clear demarcation. How about us? If you consider our 21st century American cultural values, are Christians good guys or bad guys? Not in the eyes of God. We know the answer to that one, right? But in the eyes of the culture around us, are we good guys or bad guys? And so I want us to consider those things today and in the weeks ahead. And I gave you a hint about what my answer is when we talked about the title of this series. So a few things to get there. First of all, which was Jesus? Good guy or bad guy? Of course, we're going to say good guy. I mean, you're in church, you're watching church online, you're standing before the preacher, you see the preacher on your laptop or your tablet or your TV or your Roku, whatever that thing is, and, and you know the right answer. You know, Jesus was a good guy. Of course he was. Do they crucify good guys? Not typically. When we look at the Gospels and we see the accounts of Jesus and we ask this question, was Jesus considered a good guy or a bad guy? By the people of his day, by the culture he was sent to. Remember that passage in Galatians chapter 4 that says at just the right time, Jesus was born. Born of woman, born under the law. And then he lived his life. And he began his ministry. And as he ministered for a few years, was he considered by those around him a good guy or a bad guy? And if your answer is both, then you're kind of on the right track. Because just like the church that he established, when it began less than two months after his death. Jesus at the beginning was considered a good guy. In fact, when you turn to Luke 4 or you turn to John 6, you read about the crowds that followed him. 
And then he started teaching. (laughs) And the same crowds that praised him either all went away in John 6 or wanted to kill him, stone him to death in Luke 4. In his hometown, When you turn to Matthew 21 and the other accounts of what we call the triumphal entry, Jesus going into Jerusalem for the last time, they were celebrating. They were tossing their coats on the path or or palm tree branches, leaves from the trees that they could put down here because this man was a king. This man was too important for even the donkey he was riding on to have its feet touch the unclean earth. That's how they felt about him. And then just a few chapters later, in Matthew 26 and 27, they not only want to put him to death, they scream to the pagan Roman governor, crucify him, crucify him. And they did. When you read John's account in John chapter 18 and 19, there's so much more of the interaction between Jesus and Pilate. It's so very challenging as Jesus talks to him, this pagan Roman civil authority, this governor. And yet ultimately, Pilate also says, guilty. If it comes down to choosing between saving your life, Jesus, and keeping my position, you're out. And he pronounced guilt and then condemned him to be crucified. Which was Jesus, good guy or bad guy? In the eyes of the father, he was always a good guy. But in the eyes of his culture, the people around him, he was considered a bad guy. Not just a bad guy worthy of being pronounced guilty of breaking the law. But a bad guy who was not just given the death sentence, but the worst, most horrifyingly painful and cruel death penalty that they've ever come up with. Death by crucifixion. Good guys or bad guys? Which are we? Well, which were the early Christians, which were the early Christians. And we're familiar with these words in Acts chapter 2. Beginning at verse 36, as Peter comes to the end of this great sermon that Luke records in Acts chapter 2, on the day the church was established. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. A very hard message For the people, less than two months later, in the city where Jesus had been killed, likely many there were a part of that screaming mob and had stayed around in Jerusalem between the time of the Passover and the time of the other Jewish feast, Pentecost. And yet we find a different response in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And the church begins with a bang. And as we continue reading in the next few verses, the people loved Christians at that time. Verse 42 of Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They loved the Christians. They had their community's favor. They were the good guys. And that held on in chapter 3. In chapter 3, Peter and John are going into the temple and they come to a man who was born lame and never walked in his life. And they raise him up and they don't give him money, but they give him the ability to walk and they do that in the name of Jesus Christ. And the people love them. And they share a message about Jesus that day. And so the, the early Christians were good guys. They were really good guys. As far as the community was concerned, they were good guys for two chapters of the Bible. And that's it. From this day on, they were the bad guys. Because in chapter four, they get to preaching and they get to preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And the leaders of their community, their Jewish community, they don't like that much. They had put him to death as a criminal. And so they arrest him. They arrest Peter and John and they say, look, what, what's going on here? And they say, hey, look, if you, you want to know, we'll be very clear. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you whole. Well, that wasn't a very popular message in the first century. And so they threaten them. Look, you guys better hush about this guy or else it's going to be really, really bad for you. The same authorities that had Jesus crucified now threatened the leaders of the church. And their response was this. Whether you think it's right to obey you or God, we're going to follow God. You can't decide that for us. You can decide the consequences we face. And we'll accept that, whatever it is. But we will follow God. And they go home and they pray. And perhaps they prayed for protection, but 
we find that great prayer at the end of Acts chapter 4, towards the end. And they prayed to be able to have the courage to speak boldly. Even if it meant that they were the bad guys and that there were consequences. Well, we don't have to go far to realize that this was not a bluff. Because in the chapters that follow, starting with chapters 4 and 5, all the apostles are arrested and all of the apostles are beaten and flogged. We tried to warn you. We told you that if you keep preaching this name of Jesus, you will be the bad guys. And you will suffer. And they kept preaching. And their community looked at them as the bad guys and they suffered. You continue on in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 6 and 7, we are introduced to this man, Stephen, who is one of those seven chosen in Acts chapter 6. And he was preaching the same thing. And he was stoned to death. He wasn't beaten. He wasn't flogged. They just took him out. And they stoned him and they threw rocks at him until he died. In chapter 12, it's one of the apostles, James, the brother of John, one of the three men closest to Jesus during his life of ministry. And they arrested him and they had him killed. And they arrested Peter to do the same and Peter was miraculously saved. And then starting in Acts chapter 13, Paul becomes the main character and we see his mission journeys supported by that wonderful church at Antioch of Syria in the middle of a very contemporary culture. They hear that call and that mission to spread this name. And so they send Paul and Barnabas out and then later Paul and Silas and Barnabas goes with John Mark. And they're met with persecution And they suffer. And for Paul, several times, he nearly dies. Ends up in Rome awaiting trial at the emperor because he felt like it would be a better hearing for him from the Roman Caesar, Nero, than from his own people. Ultimately, perhaps not that time at the end of the book of Acts, but The next time, Nero pronounces him guilty and has him beheaded. Same for Peter, crucified upside down. You say, well, Bill, those are the leaders of the Christians. Those are the the apostles. Those are the the teachers and preachers and missionaries. That's, That's not how they treated the common Christians. Oh, have you read the New Testament at all? 1 Thessalonians, 1 Peter, Revelation... Almost every letter in the New Testament addresses Christians about how to live faithfully as the bad guys. As the bad guys. People who aren't respected in their culture, not just not respected, but are considered to be enemies and evil. Worthy of persecution, threatening, beatings, imprisonment, and death. Good guys or bad guys? Which were the early Christians? Like Jesus, they were the bad guys. Not in the eyes of the Lord, but in the eyes of the culture and community around them. 
And so which are we? Which are we? And you see a lot of scriptures on your hand out there. And they're scriptures that indicate the same call that those first century Christians had is our call today. And I think we're beginning to realize, if we haven't already, that that makes us the bad guys in our community. Not in the eyes of the Lord, but in the eyes of the culture around us. They're not going to be any more sympathetic to us than they were to the first century Christians than they were to Jesus. It may not be displayed in as violent a way yet. But the question is, if our community around us views us as the bad guys, because of this, because of that one who was crucified that we refuse to back away from, how will we react? How will we respond? Romans chapters 1 through 3, Galatians 3, Galatians 5, Colossians 3, they all talk about a way of life that's different from the way our culture and our society around us says to live. Our culture is a very individual focus. It's a my rights focus. It's a you live your life, I'll live mine, and just don't let your life interfere with my life. Don't let your truth interfere with my truth. And for Christians, we speak of the truth. But what does that mean? For many of us, that means taking a very conservative stand on big, important issues. And that's not a bad thing. But the truth also talks about how we treat our neighbor, how we speak to our neighbor, how we address these differences, how we live out this faithfulness before a culture and a community that doesn't want us to do that. And I think the example that we should use is this. This Bible that talks about how the people of God at different times in history have done that. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount challenged the current culture in Matthew 5 through 7. In chapter 20, he said we should strive to serve rather than be served. A hundred percent against our culture. A hundred percent It's not what our culture teaches. In Luke 9, Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. A hundred percent against our culture, which says, never deny yourself. Do what you want. Do what makes you happy. Philippians 2, the same thing. And then in Matthew 10 and John 16, Jesus makes it even clearer when he says, look, if you're going to be my follower, if you're going to be my disciple, don't expect to get treated better than I did. (laughs) If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they hated my message, they're going to hate your message. Why are we surprised when that happens? And what do we try to change in response? Do we try to change our message? to make it more compatible 
with our hearers? Do we try to change our government so that they won't look at us as the bad guys anymore? Or will we do what they did, what Jesus did, what the first century Christians did, which was live out the call of life in the midst of our culture, however that culture goes. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble, John 16, verse 33. And in Philippians 3, he says, our, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And it may very well be that right now for us that are gathered here today, for us that are watching and participating online, that is the most challenging statement in scripture. Our citizenship is in heaven. Where is yours? What is your greatest desire and devotion right now? What do you spend your time on? Is it this? Or is it trying to make, instead of changing your heart and calling on those around you to listen to the message of the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ, are you trying to change the culture? And in reality, the first century church never tried to do that. Never a call to do that. Only a call to live out the faith and love and devotion and loyalty to Jesus Christ in the midst of whatever that culture looks like. Here we are but straying pilgrims. Is that true? This world is not my home. Is that true? Is that how you see it? Are those just nice, pretty songs we sing on Sunday? Which are we, good guys or bad guys? In the eyes of our culture, our community. Our friends, our co-workers, our fellow students, our relatives that don't name the name of Christ. Which are we? Though many in our culture have a great respect for Christian values, that is true, and I believe it is still true. Others would consider those values not just obsolete, but wrong and even evil. Those of us who seek to be pleasing and obedient to the God of the Bible and serve Jesus Christ as Lord, many would definitely consider to be bad guys. That is true. So if this is the case, if our culture and society around us more and more is considering us the bad guys, perhaps a more appropriate issue for us today is this, how to be good bad guys. If our culture is going to consider us to be bad guys because we follow Jesus, because we are devoted and loyal to living in obedience to the truth of God's word, the Bible. If our culture around us considers us bad guys for doing those things, how can we be good bad guys? How can we live as Jesus lived? 
in a culture, in an environment that is not only not sympathetic to the message, but antagonistic to that message. How can we be good, bad guys like the first century church was, the first century Christians were? They gladly accepted being the bad guys. They didn't try to change their culture so that their culture looked at them differently. They lived the life of Christ right in the big fat middle of them and they lived it with love and respect and consideration even for those who not only disagreed with them but were trying to kill them. How about us? How about us? Can we be okay being the bad guys in a culture that doesn't acknowledge Jesus? And can we be good bad guys? Can we do that in the love and spirit of Jesus Christ? Or will we do that in the polarizing, antagonistic, fight evil with evil attitude of our society, our culture? How to be good, bad guys. That's the title of this sermon series that begins today. And I hope that you'll pray for me. And that you'll pray for all of us. Upcoming lessons next week is how did we get here? (laughs) And there will probably be some things that you really like about that sermon. And there will probably be some things that infuriate you about that sermon. calling us to do our homework, to be prepared. And that's why this seminar coming up is so significant, so important, because we need to do our homework. We need to be prepared. We need to have the answers when people challenge us and say, how can you believe in the Genesis account of creation? How can you believe in the values of the Bible when they are so much contrary to our values in this country today? How can we live it and share it in love and humility and respect? This week at the Harding Lectureship, many of you know that I was there and, and <laughs> the theme was the book of Daniel. And when I first looked at that t- theme, I thought, Daniel, really? Why? <laughs> Why? And as the lessons went on, I realized that this is exactly what I needed to hear, what we need to hear. Because who was Daniel? Who were his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Who were the others that had been exiled to Babylon? They were the people of God, living out the values of God in a pagan culture that tried to kill him for it. And how did they react? They didn't try to change the culture around them. They simply said in the words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that great verse in Daniel 3, our God is able to deliver us, but if he chooses not to, we're not going to go against him. Whatever the cost, whatever the consequences, we're going to live obedient, humble lives of faith. That's what they said from the start. Will we say that? That's what Jesus said. That's what the first Christian said. Will we? 
how our culture and people in our society treat us is really up to them, not us. Our values and actions should be the same, however the world around us reacts. How the world around us reacts shouldn't change anything. Who lives in the White House shouldn't change anything. Who controls Congress shouldn't change anything. Might make our lives more or less difficult for a while till the next election. But it doesn't change this, and it shouldn't change us. Because Jesus didn't say, if the world treats you okay, then live like this. But if my teaching is not popular among the people of your day and time, or if they treat you badly because of your faith in me and your obedience to my will, then you don't have to live according to my word. The last thing I want is for you to be inconvenienced, for you to be uncomfortable, for you to have to suffer. He didn't say that. If the world considers us bad guys because we are acting selfishly, inconsiderately, disrespectfully, and without love, if they're treating us badly because our emails and our Facebook and our Twitter and our TikTok and our Reddit and whatever else is going on now, if they're treating us badly because those things look exactly on our page like it does on people who care nothing about the Bible and on their page, then we deserve the treatment we get. Because they don't see any difference. But if the world considers us bad guys because of our faithful obedience to the word of God and our ultimate trust in Jesus as Lord, then we will just have to be the very best bad guys we can be. We will be good bad guys. We will continue to love the Lord our God and put him first in our lives and place his will above our own. We will continue to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let everything else happen. And we will continue to love our neighbor as ourselves and unselfishly serve those around us, putting their needs and interests above our own, however they treat us. That's our part. And that part doesn't change whether the 21st century American culture around us considers us good guys or bad guys. Because in the end, we are the people of God. We are the church of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, our citizenship is in heaven. So what about you? Have you decided to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Have you decided to follow Jesus and only Jesus? Whatever that means. If we can help you do that, come as we stand and sing this great song together.
I realize this was announced. Uh, just a second. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Drew Nunn is, was going to lead our closing prayer. Drew, we're going to do this again next Sunday. So if you wouldn't mind being on hold for that. Uh, one of our shepherds, David Hammond, is going to make a special announcement and lead a special prayer, and we'll also have that to be our closing prayer today as well. David, thank you. Sorry to uh, change up things. We just want to, this was announced last week, uh, but the finals last Sunday is today. Uh, Jeff and Pam and McKenzie, they've been a big part of this church as well as the rest of their family. And, they're moving on to San Antonio, so it's their last Sunday, and we'll certainly miss them. And uh, we want to offer prayer on their behalf as well as a closing prayer. So if you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for all that you provide for us and that you give us each and every day. And, and we thank you for your love and, and for your direction. And we know that you have directed the Fennels to, to move to San Antonio, and we know that uh, can be unnerving at times for them. And... Uh, they don't know exactly what the future may hold, but you know we, we know that you know what's best for them and you'll be with them in everything that they do. Uh, please have a successful and safe move and, and be successful not only in, in growing in your word and finding a church home, but also in their, uh, their way of living and in their jobs and with their friends and family. Uh, please be, be with them, keep them safe, and, and let them know that uh, they're always welcome here. And Lord, we're so thankful for this day and the lesson we heard this morning for all that you give us. And, and may we uh, use this uh, word to uh, be good bad guys. Uh, for some of us, that's uh, easy, and for some, that's hard. And, and uh, help us, uh, give us the strength and direction to reach out to others and to, to do what's necessary to bring others toward you, to know you, and, and to be part of, your, part of your word and part of the Christian family. We thank you. So much for all that you do. Keep us safe, healthy, and happy. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.